Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. As we've been looking at week after week here in the Gospel of John, we're trying to show how John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is guiding his readers to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. These books are written, yes, they're biographical, but they're also designed to prove and to teach something about Jesus. John is toward the end of the first century. Many people don't believe. Many people are second, third generation Christians. There's different false teachings like Gnosticism and things have kind of infiltrated the religious movements and all of that. And John says, look, a lot of you guys are denying Jesus. I was there. And here's a whole bunch of other people that were there. And here's a whole bunch of evidence for who Jesus was. And here's a whole bunch of things I want you to consider about him. And on and on and on, trying to get us to the conclusion of John 20, 30, and 31, that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. This book is about believing in Jesus. It's not just a a good story. And I think we got to be careful with this sometimes because... Reading the, the story of Jesus, of course, is very compelling. How he interacts with people. I mean, there's humor, there's drama, there's intrigue and all of that. But the ultimate goal with this is to get us to believe that Jesus is Lord. And when you understand that Jesus is Lord, you'll submit to and follow him. What's neat about the Gospel of John is some of the emphasis on the dialogues of Jesus. How he interacts with people. And for me, that's the, that's the stuff I love the most. I love reading how Jesus interacted with different people, the controversy with it, the arguments, how he answered them, how he taught them. Um, that's something that always draws me in. Well, we're looking at a section concerning that right now in John chapter 20, or John, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, with Jesus healing a blind man. So let's back up and review a little bit and make sure we remember where we're at. So you have a man who is blind. And the question that the people had on their mind about this blind man was what? Yeah, did he sin or did his parents sin? Why would they ask that question about a blind person? Yeah, there was a belief at that time by many people that if you had a defect of some kind, it was due to a punishment kind of because of your sin or your parents' sin. Jesus comes on in though and goes, it's different than that, guys. This is an opportunity. You're asking the wrong question. Let's ask how we can use this. And Jesus ends up healing this man. And the way he heals him is is pretty unique. How does Jesus heal the blind man? What's the process of it? Spits in the dirt, makes clay, and sticks it in the man's eyes. VBS next year, by the way, we're going to have all the kids do this and practice this as Okay, we'll wait for COVID to end. Then we'll do the spitting in the eye part. But, um, I mean, so he makes this mud, sticks it in his eyes, and heals the guy. Actually, he doesn't heal him right then. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam and, you know, do that. So the man leaves and washes his face, and he receives his sight, and Jesus is gone. So the man comes back seeing, and the people are like, hold up here. Isn't this the guy that used to beg? Because back then, if you were disabled, there wasn't employment opportunities. There wasn't, uh, you know, disability or things like that. So this man, for him to pay his bills, to feed himself, would beg. That's why he's outside of the temple. 
He's there begging for money every day as a blind guy. Jesus heals him. He comes back, and people are like, hold up here. Isn't this that same guy that we've been seeing for years that's been begging right here? What in the world happened? And others were saying, no, he's just a guy that looked like him. And they're asking him a question. They ask him, how were your eyes opened? And the man recounts. He says, well, that guy that everybody calls Jesus put dirt in my eyes, told me to wash, and then I could see And then they said, well, where is this Jesus? And what did the man say? I don't know. He was blind before that. He doesn't know where he went. Jesus was gone before he went and washed his eyes. So they bring the blind man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees go, look, you obviously couldn't have been born blind or something else special happened because this man could not have healed you. Why? What day of the week is it? Sabbath day. And the Jews didn't do work on the Sabbath day. And since they didn't do work on the Sabbath day, meant that a lot of times they'd also do good works on the Sabbath day. And here you have Jesus healing a guy on the Sabbath. So therefore, they come to the conclusion that this guy must have not healed you because he's sinning, right? They're saying he violated the Sabbath. What's wrong with their logic there? Okay. Um, first off, yeah, they kind of have a misunderstanding of what the whole purpose of the Sabbath was. It wasn't to not help people. It was for you to rest and remember God and that kind of thing. Also, they don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He has power beyond that. They don't understand the idea of Sabbath system coming to an end and that whole idea. But anyway, this whole controversy happens. So then they bring his parents in. They go, look, is this your son? Was he born blind? And the parents go, he is our son. He was born blind. We don't know what happened. Leave us alone. We don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. It's kind of what, what happens. So then they go to the blind man in verse 24, and they said, okay, here's, here's an answer that will make everybody happy. Just give glory to God. Just say, oh, thank you, God, for allowing me to be healed. And the man says, he goes on and answers this whole question about we don't know whether he's a sinner and all of that, basically. I was blind, but now I'm C, and we go on, and in verse 34, they get to their final rebuke of the man, and they answered him and said, you were born entirely of sins, and you're teaching us, so they put him out. The man says, look, Jesus couldn't be a sinner. He's doing a miracle. Sinners are not guided by God to do miracles. The Pharisees get upset by this. They go, yeah, well, you were born a sinner anyway, so get out of here, and they kick him out. That's where we left off with that whole dialogue here. Um, And I I think this is neat, too, because, like, verses, oh, 24 through 34 is a recent follower of Jesus, and he's not even a full-fledged disciple yet, but he's trying, you know what I mean? You have this blind guy who's trying to make sense of Jesus and he's arguing against religious leaders, Pharisees. These are top-notch people in the religious world there. These are the guys you don't mess with. And yet this blind guy tries to make arguments in favor of Jesus. And they're not the most well-thought-out arguments. Sometimes the guy's like, I don't know, but he must be from God because he healed me. And then he goes on, he says, well, he can't be a sinner because God doesn't hear sinners, right? And then he listened to Jesus in some way. So this man makes these different arguments, and he shuts down the Pharisees. You have a guy from, who was blind, 
who doesn't have formal training in all of this, but because he used logic and he knew the truth, he's able to shut down these religious elite of the day, these Pharisees, to a point where they just insult him and kick him out. So you might be doing kind of good if the snotty religious leaders get mad at you enough to just kick you out because he can't answer your arguments. I mean, maybe you're, you're doing something right, and that's what kind of happens here. So any questions or comments up through verse 34 of John chapter 9 about this blind man and this healing? He kind of used their own reasoning. Their reasoning was Jesus must be a sinner because he did something on the Sabbath. What did he do on the Sabbath? He healed. But the blind man goes, how is he able to heal if God doesn't hear sinners? And they go, get out of here. <laughs> That's kind of what happens, right? And uh, I, I love it there. Other thoughts? All right, well, then let's keep going. Verse 35, Jesus now hears about this. So Jesus wasn't there. And how John got this dialogue and how he knew about it and all that, I'd love to see the whole process. Was it God told him? Was it he interviewed all of this? I don't know, but maybe it's just people knew. Um, but verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So Jesus hears that they kicked the blind man out. So Jesus reaches out toward him, tries to find him, which those that have been rejected by religion, those that have had bad times interacting with churches and things like that, those are people that we need to reach out to. Those are people that need to know the real Jesus. So often people have a damaged view of Christianity because of a negative experience of some kind. And hey, we're not perfect either. We have our own negative things. We do. But if you have somebody who had an interaction with those who in the name of God did something wrong, we need to find those people and show them the true Jesus. And don't let them have a sour, jaded view of religion. Because the Pharisees were supposed to be the holy religious leaders, but they turned out to be abusive, mean jerks. And sometimes even today, people have bad run-ins with religious leaders who turn out to be abusive, mean jerks, or they have interactions with churches that are negative and all of that. We need to show people that that doesn't mean that Jesus is bad. That doesn't mean that Christianity's bad. It doesn't mean the Bible is not true just because someone wasn't following it right. And that's kind of what Jesus does here. He reaches out to this man, and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So the blind man goes, I'd like to. Who is this guy that you speak of? Who is this Son of Man? Terminology going back to prophecies about the Messiah. Who is this that I might believe? And he answered Tim, verse 37, you have both seen I like that scene because he now can see, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now he finally actually believes in Jesus. Oh, he was on the path to it. He just was confused, needed some guidance. He's like, I, I could see God must be working. I don't know. What do I got to do next? And he comes to, and Jesus says, I'm the one you, you're supposed to believe in. He goes, I believe, and he worships Jesus. And now he becomes, you know, a disciple. Comments up to verse 38. Yes, Karen. No, I think he does because um, earlier he says the guy called Jesus is the one who healed me. 
uh, the one they called Jesus. And so there's probably some conversations about it, but he didn't know what Jesus looked like. And now Jesus is talking to him and says, hey, the one you're seeing right now and the one who is talking to you is that one. I think he already had the assumption that the guy who healed him was the son of God. He just didn't know who that was till this point. That, at least that's my, my take on it. Other questions or comments? Yeah. No, Jesus, there is, there's, there's weird, I mean, and I don't spend all the time evaluating all the different false teachings out there. There is a belief system out there that says you don't worship Jesus. I mean, I've even heard preachers in the, the Lord's church, which I think it's heresy, but say Jesus isn't worthy of worship. But, um, yeah, I mean, Jesus welcomed worship throughout his life. Um, he did. And that's what you do when you believe in Jesus. You worship him. To put him into a role less than that is to make him not God, is a say, and, which is, yeah, false uh, 100%. Other thoughts? So he's now talking with Jesus. And Jesus said, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, this is a dig at a certain group of people, and they're going to understand it's a dig at them in the next verse. So Jesus takes the blind people, and they are now able to see. But it's not just that they're able to physically see, but they now see the truth. They are enlightened, eyes open, they understand. You know, we even use that terminology today. You're like, yeah, my eyes were open to this fact. It doesn't mean your eyes were closed before. It means now you comprehend. Now you understand. Now you get it, right? Um, here's the same idea. Jesus says, I came so that the blind can have their eyes open, so that they can see, but that those who see may become blind. Verse 40. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Do they get what he's saying? Yeah, they get that it's an insult. They get that he's poking at them. He's saying they are the ones that do not truly see. They go, well, what are you saying, Jesus? Just because we don't believe in you, you're claiming that we're blind? How dare you insult us? First off, blind people probably sinned, and that's why they're that way. That's what they believe. Second, we understand. We are enlightened. We know things, and how dare you say we're blind? I think it was when we took the Fishers of Men course here years ago. Um, the, the man who was pre teaching the class said, you got to be careful because as Christians, a lot of times we act like we're Christians and we know stuff. So we think we know everything. And here these Pharisees knew some stuff, and they thought they knew everything. And truthfully, they are blind. So Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we sin, or since we say we see, your sin remains. Little bit of kind of a wordplay here going on, going back to this miracle, designed to cut them to the heart. So let's break this down a little bit. If you were blind, you would have no sin. That's obviously not a universal statement. It's not that blind people can't sin. Okay, obviously, they can't. So it can't be that. What do you think he's saying? If you were blind, you would have no sin. There's a couple things in here. Okay, if you were blind, it wouldn't be because of sin 
that or that you're blind because they believe that the blind man sinned and, and that kind of idea. But what else? If you were blind, you would have no sin. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, exactly. I think Bruce is there. It's this idea. Look, if you admitted your lack of understanding, if you admitted your blindness, don't, don't, don't even think eyesight here. If you admitted that you need to know more, if you admitted that you don't have it all figured out, you would have no sin. It's humility. That's what it is. People that admit that they sin are the people that can find forgiveness. The people that admit that they need God, the people that admit they don't have it all figured out, those are the people that God wants. Not the people that say, I know it all, I have it figured out, I'm living it perfectly. No, you're the ones that are sinning. It's the people that humbly admit that they can't see. Those are the ones that have no sin. The blind man, yes, he was literally blind, but he has no sin now because he admitted he couldn't see. But you Pharisees, you walk around saying, we see, and your sin remains. You act like you know how to have it all taken care of, and you are still in your sin. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that same kind of thinking. We got it. We're right. Everybody else must be wrong. The moment we think that we have it all figured out, first off, we're pushing God out of the picture. We're saying, God, I got this under control. I know the truth. I interpret it perfectly. I follow it and obey it flawlessly. I'm not a sinner anymore. That's a problem. We have to admit our blindness. We have to admit our fault. John would later say in his letter to a church in 1 John, the whole idea, if we say we have no sin, we're in what? Darkness. Wait a second. Blind people, they're in darkness. John uses that same argumentation. And the only people in 1 John that can be forgiven are those that confess their sin. And when they do that, they're walking in the light. John loves light and darkness terminology, blind in sight. It's the same kind of thinking. When you admit sin, you're in the light, and you can be enlightened, and you can have forgiveness. When you don't confess sin, you're in darkness, and you're blind, and you're lost. That's the idea we see here. The Pharisees wouldn't like that. They wanted to be patted on the back and be told how much they knew things. And instead, they needed to admit that they don't have it all figured out. Questions or comments or thoughts or anything? Yeah, Kelly. If we say we have no guilt in verse 41, I, 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 I want to find out what word that is real quick. Um, someone else keep talking while Carolyn makes that statement. What else do you see here in this verse? Trusting in self and trusting in God. Yeah, because the Pharisees always thought, I'm doing this. And it was almost like through my own perfect obedience, God then is so impressed with me that he must bless me. And the whole idea is we need to come to it with the idea that God isn't that impressed with us. He just loves us in, in spite of all that. All right, so John 9, 41, the word for sin, it's the normal word for sin, hamartia which guilt or sin, I mean, it's not a bad translation, but it's, it's unusual to me that they translated that guilt. But amartia is the word that is normally translated sin. Um, and he uses it, both times do they call it guilt, Carolyn, in verse 41? Okay. What about in verse 34? 
Yeah, that's the same word there too. Okay. Um, Carolyn was just pointing out that the ESV translates that word sin in verse 41, guilt, and I was curious to see why. Um, but I don't have a problem with that translation. But I am kind of a nerd about certain things on this. I like consistency of translation. And our English Bibles blow this all the time. None of them are perfect. The New American Standard that I read from is bad at it too. ASV's bad at it. New King James, which I don't technically like that much, is really good at it. But um, you have Greek words that mean certain things, okay? And I know that there's a lot of nuance in words because context determines the meaning of words, obviously. Um, if I use the word cool, or I already said in a sentence, I said, um, it's going to be really cool when I talked about our small groups, okay? What does that mean in context? It's going to be neat. It's going to be nice. It's going to be fun. It's going to be beneficial. But I, when I walked into a restaurant yesterday, I said, it's not very cool in here, and we left because it was a barbecue place, and you don't want barbecue in a hot restaurant. So we went to a Mexican place. It was cooler. And I meant temperature-wise because it was cool inside. Context determined meaning. However, it's the same English word, cool. I would like it if people quoted me to use the same word every time so you can determine from the context what I mean. Sometimes our English Bibles, and this is, means nothing to you in the long grand scheme of things, they take a Greek word and they translate it different ways in different places. They're not translating it wrong, okay? To translate the word sin as guilt, it's, it's the same concept. It's not bad, okay? To translate the word agape as love, charity, uh, brotherly kindness or whatever, those are all accurate translations. However, when we don't know Greek, and we're dependent upon English, and you're opening up your Bible, and you're trying to highlight key words, when they don't use the same word, it gets really frustrating. That's why it's awesome that we have computers nowadays, and you can go, like I did right here on BibleHub.com, and pulled up the Greek, and I can know the word, but um, it, I, I like consistency of translation. Um, so that's something to think about when you think of a translation. Consistency is, is good for Bible study. It does. It gives the nuance better. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think they're doing it bad because the Pharisees are over here saying, we have no guilt. We've done nothing wrong as opposed to. So it, that's the challenge of being a translator because you have to make the nerds happy like me who want the same word, but yet you also want to make the interpreters happy who um, express the nuance of language because we're not first century Greek speakers. We don't even understand the nuance there. Uh, I've been listening a ton lately on ancient Hebrew stuff. Not speaking, don't ask me any Hebrew word. I took a Hebrew class twice and got a D both times. Um, but, and that was only by the grace of Dr. Rodney Cloud, okay? Um, but there is so much that we don't get because we're just not there. There's certain words or callbacks. Maybe if I, if I quoted a movie or a TV show, um, Okay, I'll, the one that popped in my head shows my, it's dating me now. Okay, remember Steve Urkel in Family Matters? What was his line in the show? Did I do that? Okay, your, your grandkids don't know what that means, by the way. But if I quote that to you, if I said, come on, like Urkel would say, did I do that? You would get the nuance. Oh, he's talking about that guy. A hundred years from now, if I say, did I do that? And they're listening to a recording and the whole audience laughs. They're going to go, what in the world are they laughing at? How is that a joke? So it, there's cultural removing there too. So it's a challenge to be a student of God's word. That's what makes it fun a little bit. All right, back to the text. Verse 41, 
Jesus said, you say we see your sin remains. Their reason that they didn't admit that they, their guilt, they didn't admit their sin, they didn't admit that they have it all figured out, they're going to remain in sin. We're seeing a line being drawn now. Disciples are those that admit sin and worship Jesus. False people are those that don't admit their fault and they don't believe in him. Let's keep reading now. Yeah, Don. Yeah, and I think we do. We did do that. If we can just get it right, if we can live the, the perfect way, if we can worship the perfect way, if we can organize our church and do everything just right, then it's all going to work out. And like you said, when we think that way, we remove God out of the picture. Again, striving for obedience is 100% biblical. We should. But admitting our inability to perfectly obey is also necessary in order to receive forgiveness because if not, you don't need God. Yeah, very true. Other thoughts? Yeah, Jim. Yeah, we've arrived is a very dangerous way of thinking. Yeah, we, we give it our all. Um, you know, I, I was coaching some kids yesterday, and um, Roman went out there, and he, he lost his first match and won two after that. He gave it his all but he lost. Now, in two years from now, he's going to give it his all again, and it's going to be way better than what he did because he's because he came off the mat. He goes, I really need to work on this area is what he said. He was talking about some techniques and that kind of thing. He said, I need to get better from this position. He gave it his all. That was all he had right then, but now he says, here's where I can improve. I can get better. We as Christians, like Jim said, we're giving it our all for God all the time, and all the time we're giving God our all, we realize the holes in our game that we need to improve upon and get better so that we can, you know, keep serving God. I want you, uh, I don't want you to cross it out, but verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, this is same dialogue here. Uh, chapter breaks sometimes interrupt the flow because Jesus is still talking here in this situation. It seems to me like this dialogue kind of is continuing intentionally here. So verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you. So he just healed this blind man. He's doing all this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by his name, and leads them out. When he put forth his own and goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. We're going to read through this and break it down, but I want you to connect this to the blind man story for a moment. In verse 37, Jesus said to the blind man of chapter 9, you have both seen and he is the one who is talking with you. And the blind man said, I believe, and he worshiped him. I think there's something here about the blind man heard the voice of Jesus and believed. And then over here, real sheep, what do they do? They know the voice of the shepherd. Blind or sighted, it don't matter. They know his voice. The blind guy knew the voice of Jesus and believed and followed him just like good sheep do. Okay, now let's back up and break this down. I wanted to get to that and then come back. So Jesus gives this illustration. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. Door and all that terminology. I'm not an expert on sheep. I did drive by a goat milk factory in Merced yesterday, so I know a lot about it. Um, sheep and goats aren't the same. I guess I don't know that. Um, so picture a pin, okay, a barnyard kind of thing, and you keep the sheep in there so they don't run away, and you have a gate to get in to protect the sheep from outsiders and all of that. Um, if someone climbs over the fence to get in, there's an issue, right? Because people who climb over the fence to get into places are usually doing something they're not supposed to. When I talk to Owen and his friends about skateboarding, go, you know, when you climb over fences to go skate places, people think you're criminals. You know, that kind of thing. When you climb over a fence to get into this place right here, people assume you are a thief. Common situation, okay? Now, we don't even have to be a farmer to understand that, that if you're sneaking in someplace, there's probably a problem there. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. If you're able to go right on in through the door, you're someone that has access to the sheep. You're someone that's allowed to be around the sheep. You're someone that the sheep trusts. You're not a threat to the sheep. If a wolf walks in through that door, the sheep are going to stampede and all that kind of stuff, right? They don't really stampede. They scatter. But you know what I'm saying, what I'm saying. When he puts for, or then verse 30, or verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens. So the shepherd shows up, the doorkeeper opens the door, and the shepherd comes in, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. I love the intimacy of this here too. Because a shepherd with his sheep, this is not just a guy that was just some hired hand. This isn't somebody who just comes in, to help shear the flock or something like that. This is someone that has a relationship with them. Um, when I come home, my dog is excited to see me, jumps up and down, runs in a circle, and we got to make sure not to pet him so he doesn't pee, okay, because he's so excited to see me. Um, when other people show up, he barks at them, growls, and we tell them don't pet the dog because he might be. It's a worthless dog, I tell you. Um, but anyway, Jesus comes in here, and he says, when I show up, I speak, I call the sheep by name, and they hear my voice, and he leads them out. By knowing them by name is so important here, because that means personal knowledge of you. Um, one of the things they taught us in preaching school, and they probably taught you at work, and it's just common sense in life, that the most precious thing that someone could hear is their own name. Because if you know their name, that means you took the time to get to know them to connect with them, to remember them. Um, growing up, we only went to church on, on Sunday mornings. Our congregation didn't have really any other kind of activities. So my mom, when I was a teenager, took us to a, a church in Clovis on Wednesday night because they had a Bible study there. I, I didn't want to go. I didn't know any of the kids. It was a big church. I mean, teenagers don't want to go, that kind of stuff. And I remember, though, one of the elders of that church um, he met us, and the next week when we came, oh, actually, I even remember him writing something down, but the next week that we came, he greeted all of us by name. As a 12-year-old or 13-year-old, I was like, whoa, that's pretty impressive. This guy has, you know, 300 people here, and, and he remembers my name. He didn't just know me as, oh, you're Melinda's kid. He said, hi, Melinda, hi, Cliff. Hi, Kelly. Oh, is this Katie? How's it? She was a baby. You know, that kind of thing. He remembered that. 
he knew my name, which cool illustration being that elders are shepherds and he's shepherding the flock, that kind of thing. But he knew my name. And automatically then I felt a relationship with him. We helped him move like three months later because we felt connected to the guy. When he passed away a few years ago, um, I was saddened by it. Even though I didn't keep the relationship with him, I and mean, we moved on and that kind of thing, whatever, um, this is a guy that knew my name. Jesus here comes in, and his sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So he takes them out, and when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him. So he leads them out of the barnyard. And when he takes them to maybe out to pasture or graze or whatever it is that sheep do, he goes on ahead of them. He leads them. He's not driving them like cattle. You know what I mean? There's no real close relationship between the guy. I mean, the cowboys like the cows. I know that. But it's a different type of relationship. But the sheep here are following the shepherd as he leads them out because of the relationship that he has with them. There's a difference. I mean, you, you guys have pets. You understand this, that if you go, if you have a, your dog will probably follow you. Come on, Sparky, Rex, or whatever your dog's name is, and he'll come. You know his name, he knows your voice, and he will follow you. If I sneak into the backyard because I like to sneak in and scare my dog, you know, I'll make noise back there, and the dog will be barking, and then I'll go, Henzo, and then it goes from barking to, oh, happy doggy puppy time, right? Because he knows my voice, and he hears it, and then he'll follow me on into the house. Jesus has that relationship with his sheep here. They follow him because they know his voice. Think of the reciprocal relationship here, too. Jesus knows our name, and we know his voice. And that connection, that relationship causes us to follow his lead. That's why this, that relation with Jesus is so intimate. It's not just a cold callous, he's our Lord up there. No, he knows you. I, I try to make it an effort, and I'm not that good at it. Some people have a talent, but I, I try to learn people's names because that's, that makes them feel cared for. They're used to hearing you say their name. They know your voice. Jesus knows your name. You know his voice. So what do we do? We follow him. The blind man knew the voice of Jesus, and now he's following him. The Pharisees, Jesus calling them by name too, but yet they yet don't know his voice, and they're not following him. Any thoughts or comments before we look at the next two verses? So don't be a goat. But sheep, on the other hand, would know your voice and come and be saved from the ravenous wolf. Well, and one Pharisee here and there gets saved too. But, I mean, but, yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, we lose some stuff not being in agriculture. I mean, granted, Central Valley, everything's still tied to ag here, and most of us have family or something that has something to do with farming in some um, way. But, yeah, back then, that's a real illustration. that They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, that kind of thing. Other thoughts? All right, let's go a little bit here further. It says, verse 5, A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of stranger. True followers of Jesus only hear one voice. Every other voice out there is strange. It's not the right voice. Just like sheep only follow the voice of their shepherd, 
And I'm sure that in the midst of a whole bunch of, I mean, my, again, I don't know a lot about sheep. But I, oh, I also watched the movie Babe. So greatest movie of all time, by the way, um, where the pig herds the sheep. But anyway, the sheep know the pig, their pig, and they follow him. Um, sheep will know their owner, their shepherd, and not someone else's voice. If I'm in a room with a whole bunch of children, I can usually yell, you know, and they know my voice, my kids do, and they'll turn, but the other kids might not. They can sense Zinni looking at them too, which is really strange. I don't know how that works. But um, they know the voice. A stranger they don't listen to. Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. They didn't get it yet. The Pharisees aren't going to get it. Maybe the disciples aren't truly getting it just yet. But it's coming. It's going to connect. And he's going to give them some more illustrations here about sheep and shepherds as we go on. He doubles down on it. Let me go, okay. He goes, let me paint it a different way for you about sheep. Shepherds do this. Sheep do that. You might be, you know, he's trying to get them to the right conclusion. But the idea is Jesus is the good shepherd. The true sheep hear his voice and they follow his lead. And I love that leading terminology. And I love that the word for even like pastor, shepherd, elder in, elder in scripture, that idea, because it's not whip, do what I say. It's a relationship and I follow your lead. And it should be the same way even in a household, even. You know, so often people have a hard time talking about gender roles in the home and all of that. And man, if a, if a husband loves his wife and, and cares for her and, uh, and, and, and loves her and respects her and all that, there's gonna, it's easy to follow the lead of those people. If your coach knows your name and your coach cares for you and wants the best for you, you follow their lead. You listen to the teacher who you know has your best interest, that kind of thing. Here, Jesus is that good shepherd, and he knows his sheep, and he leads them out, protects them, and cares for them. We're going to have to stop right here. We'll pick up next week in verse 7. Uh, I'll close this out with a prayer, but let's be thankful that we have a Lord who is that good shepherd, who in the midst of a whole bunch of different voices out there, people that are trying to harm sheep, he knows us by name, and we will follow his lead. Let's pray. Wonderful God, thank you so much for Jesus, whom we serve, worship, and obey. We pray that we will follow his lead as that good shepherd and that we will be the sheep that he will lead out to that eternal pasture. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.